A heaven imagined. Before the reality, a swirl of concepts, celestial images, notions formed at the hands of religious teachers and tyrants, ranting and railing the masses to behaviors supposed to guarantee admission, as gleaned from dead languages and deader messengers from distant realms. Pirouettes in layers of immaculate linen, dervishes and ecstatic communion, a celestial harmony against a warm background of limitless space and perpetual appreciation of the wonders of the few interruptions to vacuum and darkness, a friendly fireside chat amongst fellow travelers along the silver lines of life and death in material form, any one of innumerable versions of an eternal home for the advanced and well-proven angels and saints surely falls short of the actuality, despite the exhortations of dead languages, the adored memories of fallen and silent teachers. Thus, the reality is painfully exposed. What was advertised and owned as heaven is a product of a faulty being's background all cleaned and made better by time and the need to absolve oneself of painful admissions of failure. Failure of those trusted, admired, even loved, who had a responsibility, many heavy responsibilities, yes, and every one of those duties failed in some way. What wonder that while our imaginings of heaven are fleeting and insubstantial, they transform, miraculous, into images of the opposite that persist, solid, concrete, and heavy. A hallway, long, a lush red carpet, gilt-edged, stretches the length into the dimness of the far end. Walls covered in ancient tapestries depicting scenes barely registering, interspersed with paintings of equally ancient ancestral specters, previous occupants, bloodline forebears, fierce depictions of determination or possibly madness. The dimensions dwarf one, walls disappearing into the darkness above and the slow journey to the opposite end of the hall, interminable. A seedy angel walks into a bar. Sounds just like the beginning of a predictable joke. But then, it is a pretty predictable bar. Dim, of course. Guess you'd call it a neighborhood bar if your neighborhood was populated by desiccated retirees, hiding from daylight's focus, awaiting night and at least the illusion of a comfortable sociality, camaraderie. Now. They are all scrying deep into their beers, reading a future in the tiny bubbles creeping up the glass. But they look up at the angel anyway. His white robe or toga or frock or whatever an angel wears, far from a blindingly pure heavenly glowing brightness. Rather, 
kind of dingy before, the new and improved laundry detergent uses its magnificent powers of cleanliness, definitely not the after. The hem is a bit frayed, and below that, the sandals, well, aren't sandals, they're cheap flip-flops, the kind one buys only out of desperation on the way to some flip-flop appropriate venue, having accidentally left the fashionable and expensive sandal wear out of the travel kit. He flip-flops its way to the bar, after a quick take-it-all-in glance, in a hale and hearty exuberance much more energetic than called for in the midday doldrums, he barks out, Barkeep, my good man, pour me a glass of your finest lager, if you please. The bartender, a bored and tired denizen of the neighborhood bar underworld himself, pulls away from the perusal of a newspaper or racing form or some such, wordlessly snatches a mostly clean glass from behind the bar, steps up to the spigot, pours a watery generic draft. Excellent! I thank you. The seedy angel further examines the dreary cave over the rim of his glass as he takes a long and somewhat satisfying swallow, taking in the huddled patrons who hurriedly snap back to their previous drink-gazing and thousand-yard stares as if they hadn't been in turn inspecting the exuberant and out-of-place newcomer themselves. He wipes the mustache of beer with the sleeve of his gown and tries to act as if the place was lively and inviting, trying ploys of small talk and eye contact, met with universal resentment, sullen silence, framed in begrudging tolerance. The next afternoon, the seedy angel again steps into the bar, this time with a companion. Yes, the bad joke continues. Her gown is the expected brilliant, almost fluorescent white appropriate to an angelic presence. Still, it is a bit sullied by an uncomfortable-looking jumble of beads, bangles, and cheap pendants by the overdone and gaudy makeup. In a brassy, whiskey and tobacco-strained voice, she shouts out, Hello, y'all! Benny here told me about this place, and I just can't wait to dance and party the night away with y'all. She laughs a phlegmy laugh and turns to the barkeep. Get me a gin fizz and you know our money is still good here, right? Punctuated with a quick pinch to his cheek and a wiggle for the by now thoroughly shocked customers. Benny says, hey Shirley, looks like we're going to have to work real hard to get this crowd going, huh? He waves an arm over the crowd, all what, five or six of them, seven maybe, counting the bartender. They remain silent, but their thoughts are plain. By what right do they get to come in here and ruin our ruminations? Someone make them go away, tempered with, but they are angels. Can we give angels the bums rush just because they're loud and cheery when we're all contemplative and sullen? Obviously, the answer is no because the afternoon grinds away into night with Benny chewing and slobbering on a slimy cigar, overseeing with a patronizing stance and attitude the converting miracle that surely works, flirting with at first resistant geezers, pulling them onto a hastily cleared dance floor, cranking up a bunch of tunes nobody remembered being on a jukebox, nobody remembered being in the bar. By 10 o'clock that night, as the still-not-retired crew and patrons came on shift, 
filling out to the normal nighttime-sized crowd, everyone was in full swing, wondering, why don't we do this more often? Have a real party. This is good. It's fun. It's... Well, suddenly the benediction was over, the blessing completed, and the jukebox was silent. Maybe it was powered off and probably moved back into whatever corner it was normally in because it wasn't in sight anymore. Benny and Shirley had, well, slipped out the door or just disappeared like angels on the run. Once again, the room was its normal quiet reverie and no one talked, no one danced, no one looked around and the drinks, if not flowed, at least appeared at a steady pace, continuing to fuel a set of numb existences. The joke is over. Go back to the beginning of the chapter, reread. <laughs>